0: Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 is where we're going to be at today. Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man return? Open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delight, a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Father, we ask for help this morning in... um, thinking about money and thinking about giving and thinking about need and thinking about worship and uh, God just how we respond to you and how we honor you and what we put our trust in father please make all of those things really clear God and in, in kind of a, a muddy complicated issue God I pray that you would bring just a piercing clarity from the power of the Holy Spirit this morning um, God that you would move us to to a radical obedience, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. <clears throat> uh, I preached on divorce last week, and now money this week, and you're you're asking yourself, "Is he trying to get fired?" I, I'm not trying to get fired. Um, it, it's just simply the Book of Malachi. Um, like chapter two was on marriage and divorce, and chapter three, the the kind of the big section in it is on uh, giving and on withholding giving, and so um, we're just working our way through this this little prophetic book. We haven't been here in ten years, and so it's time. and And here's what I'm convinced of: I'm, I'm convinced of that verse in Timothy where it says that the word of God is is profitable for every for for equipping you to, for every good work. and And so I, I really believe that as we just follow through the books of the Bible, that that God is equipping us and God is is giving us what we need to live the Christian life. Okay, so what's, what's happening here? Well, what's happening in Malachi 3 is that Israel has sinned against the Lord. They've rebelled against the Lord, and the result is kind of a curse, okay? And I know that's not language that we're used to using, okay? But, 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 but it's right here in the Scripture. It says you're cursed with a curse, um for you are robbing me and, and what you have to understand is that is very covenantal language okay so you remember if you go way back in your old testament god is establishing his people right he promises abraham abraham will give you a son your son's going to uh, have uh, become a nation that nation's going to have a land and that land is is going to is going to be yours and and then you're going to produce the messiah right and so there's there's all these promises going on And so when God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt and begins to make them a nation, he he gives them this covenant. He says, all right, here's what I'm going to promise to do for you. I'm going to promise to do all these things I told Abraham that I would do, and I'm going to do them for you. But you also must respond to me in this way. And when you do respond to me in that way, there'll be blessings. There'll, There'll be lots of blessings. And when you don't respond to me in that way... There'll be curses, okay? And so when when, when he says, you're cursed with a curse, that's hearkening back to this covenantal language where Israel was to respond to God in a certain way. And when they did, there'd be blessings. When they didn't, there'd be curses. So basically God says, you you aren't responding to me in the way that you promised you would. Uh, God is basically saying, I have been faithful. I've, I've been faithful to you. You have not been faithful to me, okay? Now, the other thing you need to know is that this period of time in Israel's life, they are challenged, okay? This is a kind of a dark time, this is kind of a, a a a lean time. This is an economically depressed time, all right and And it's during this time that God gives them this challenge to give, okay so i I, I want you to see that perspective because I, I think a lot of times we 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 think of giving only in terms of when we have a lot, right? Uh, actually, uh, the Bible probably talks more about giving when we have little than it does when we have a lot, okay? Now, now why would God bring them this word of, 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 of encouragement to give when they're in the midst of an economically depressed time? Three reasons. Number one, it was their expression of obedience to God. Okay, again, what does it mean to be God's people? It, this is part of what it means to be God's people for the nation of Israel, okay? So, so he's urging them to obedience to God. Number two... Money is a great indicator of where your heart is. Okay, we're going to talk about all these more, but I just want to start out like why would he bring this up during this time? Number one, it's an act of obedience. Number two, it's a great indicator of where your heart is. And number three, this is a really important one that I want you to grab onto is God is an incredible provider. Okay, God is an incredible provider. And so... When the nation of Israel finds themselves in a famine, in a drought, in a lean time, crops aren't growing, they're economically depressed, God is reminding them, hey, I I am a great provider. Hey, remember, I'm faithful. I'll do everything I said I would do. I, I always keep my promises. However, your response of unbelief to me is clogging the pipeline of my provision." Okay? Does that make sense? Do you, do you kind of see the quandary they're in here? Okay, they're in a very lean time, but they're in a lean time because they've been disobedient to God, and, and, and in a very lean time, God's saying, Man, you you need you need to give to me. And, and they're like, well, man, we're we're in a really tough spot here. And, and God's like, Yeah, that's why you need to give. That, that's why you need to seek and obey and follow and believe me. Okay, so the call here is for Israel to return. Return in faith and obedience to God. They're not where they're supposed to be. They've strayed away from God. And so Israel is to return to God with the promise of verse 6, that if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. That, that God is unchanging. Notice that. He says, I don't change. He is unchanging in his promises. He is faithful to do everything he said he would do. Okay, so how does Israel get back right with God? How do they return? How do they get back right? Near to God. How how, how does that happen? Well, they ask that question. Okay. You'll notice in, uh, where is it? uh, Verse 7. Uh, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how? Okay, so they, they answer back to God, how? How, how are we going to return? Okay, verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Okay, so in answer to the how, how do they return to God? The answer is they stop robbing God. okay. Now now what what an interesting phrase huh like how do you rob god like where does he keep his stuff right uh, does he have an alarm system? Does he have a Doberman? Does he, uh, you know, how, how, how in the world are they robbing God? Well, it's it's only possible to rob God if we are withholding what belongs to God, right? We're not going to take anything that's God's. How, how in the world would that even be possible? But we do rob him in the sense that certain things belong to him and we withhold them, okay? That's the case here in Malachi chapter 3. They're withholding their giving, their tithes and their contributions, and and, and so Malachi. Malachi says, you you are robbing me, okay? And I want to take a hit the pause button here this morning, we don't want to assume uh, stuff that we shouldn't assume. Some of you may be thinking, okay, that's a word I do not know what it means, tithe, okay? I actually ask this in all my premarital counseling. We have, we have this long inventory we go through, uh, the very first premarital counseling, just, just unpacking, you know, what, what do you expect? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? You know, how do you think your life's going to go? And one of the questions I, I ask is, you know, as a married couple, are you going to tithe and I give them multiple choice okay you bet uh, probably not or what is that you know and you'd be surprised at how many answers see You're like what, what, are you, what are you talking about what, what is tithe well the word tithe simply means a tenth okay or ten percent uh, if you want to say it that way um, we find the tithe all throughout the Old Testament, and we find it in Genesis fourteen twenty. I think is the first time, and that's that strange passage where Abraham saves Lot from in the battle of the kings and and, and wins the war. And then there's this there's this priest named Melchizedek, okay, who appears out of nowhere. Nobody's ever doesn't know where he where he's from or or who his family is. And I, I think it's a a Christophany. I think it's a preincarnate Christ. Uh, uh, flash, okay? That That's my own opinion. Um, but anyway, uh, Melchizedek shows up and Abraham tithes to him. He gives him a tenth, okay? Uh, we find it again in Genesis 28, I believe, where Jacob gives a tenth to God. But really, where, where it really gets unpacked is in the law, okay? So after Israel comes out of Egypt and they're headed to the promised land, God gives them all these kind of Covenant stipulations of what it means to be Israel. What it means to be uh, the nation of Israel. And one of those things was the tithe. Okay, so Leviticus, I'll give you an example here. Leviticus 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Okay? Um, verse 32, every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. And, and so the Israelites were to give a tenth of, of their flocks and their grain and all that to the Levites, and it was go, to go to the temple, and, and that, that was basically their giving, okay? And Israel, at this point, is withholding that. They are withholding the full tithe. From the Lord. Okay, now you might say, man, it just still seems that rob is an exceptionally harsh word, you know? Like they're in economically depressed times, the rains aren't coming, uh, their, 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 their crops aren't producing, and yet God says, You are robbing me. Isn't that a little harsh? Well, here, here's why I think it's a little harsh. We're really sensitive when it comes to money, okay? Uh, that's just true, isn't it? Uh, we are sensitive when it comes to money. Uh, families are split over money. Brothers don't talk for a lifetime over money. Marriage is divorce over money. We are sensitive about money. And, and I really agree with Tim Keller. I read this in, in Tim Keller yesterday. He, he, said, he said money is one of the biggest blind spots of our, in our lives. In other words, seldom do any of us actually see our own kind of heart toward money in an accurate way. And he gave an example. And man, I thought that is absolutely true. All right. So if I preach on anger. Okay so if if the sermon's on anger how many people even just in a in a in a place like this? How many people if I just ask, "Hey, who's got a, who's got a problem with anger?" You know? There'd be yeah, it's right now, Yeah, there'd be people raising their hands, right? Like a lot of them be like, "Yeah, yeah, uh-uh, that's me," you know? Uh, it, if you're in a small group and you're talking about lust, you know, or you're talking about something like that, you're going to have you know guys, if it's a guys and the girls, you're going to have guys that are getting, "Yeah, man, I, I always struggle with that." And if if you are talking about anxiety, worry, you know, "Hey, who who breaks Jesus commands concerning anxiety? Worry. There's going to be a bunch of people that ask me. I'm a warrior. I know I shouldn't. You know. There, I mean, how many times have you been in a group and, and 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 somebody brings up and says, hey, who's greedy in here? Who's who's a money-hungry greedy person? You know, everybody's like, no, that's not me, you know, right? Like, we none of us think it's us, right? Like, it, it's none of us, right? And uh, I'm not greedy. I'm not money-hungry, right? And, and, and always we look around and we look to the people who have more than us and we're like, man, I hope they're listening, you know? Like, I, I saw what they just bought and I, I hope they're listening to this sermon. I saw what they just bet, right? Like, that's what, that's what we 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 never think it's us, right? And so when when God says, you know, you're robbing me, we're like, man, God, that that's a little harsh. That's a little harsh. But the text says you're you're robbing God, which really raises the question: What exactly do we owe to God? Now, it's actually a theme through the Book of Malachi, isn't it? If you remember a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you can remember that that far ago in in, in on a Sunday anyway. Um, Malachi chapter one talked about. We owe God honor as a father. Remember, God said, hey, if I'm a father, where's my honor? And we owe God fear as a master. He said, if I'm a master, where's my fear? That, that's the way the book of Malachi starts out. And, and so we owe him honor. We owe him We owe him fear. We owe him respect. We owe God, according to the scriptures, the first affection of our hearts. He is to be our first devotion. He's to be the, the the top, right? Like, we're to love him more than we love anything else, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, God is... Is to be preeminent in our affections and money is simply one reflection, one display of our devotion to God. I mean, here, here's what's true. Whatever you love, you're going to put money to, right? You're going to invest in, you're, you're going you're gonna to pursue finance, you're going to pursue it with your time, you're going to pursue it with your affection, you're going to pursue it with your money, okay? So, so when you think about what do we owe God, okay, those, those are things we owe God, but I want you also to think of it this way. All of what we have is actually God's, okay? I, I, there are varying degrees at which you're going to believe that, okay? Now, I think everybody at the surface level is going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Everything's God's and the whole world is God's. That's true. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and its fullness thereof. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, um, what do you have uh, for who sees anything different than you? What do you have that you do not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So the Bible's really clear that, that everything we have belongs to God. Like, what, whatever you have, you have been given, okay? Now, I know, I know you're going to say, well, I've, I've worked real hard for what I've had. True, I'm, I'm not denying that at all, but here's the reality. God put you in a body that you could work hard. God gave you a mind in which you might be able to figure business things out and make money. God put you in a place where you had opportunities, Okay, if you, if, you were, if you were born in Chautizia, India, if you were born in Malaysia, if you were born in Indonesia, in a hut in poverty, hey, I don't care if you had everything, all, all the gifts and hard work, if you did everything in your life exactly as you have done it, you would not be wealthy today. Um, God has decided for whatever reason that you would have what you have, okay? And so it's all God's and we are to be stewards of that. We are to take care of, of what is God's and we are to do with it as He would want us to. Now, does that mean you take care of your family with what you have? Absolutely. First Timothy 5.8 says, Man, if you don't take care of your family, then, then you're worse than an unbeliever, is, is what the scripture says. So absolutely, you take care of your family, but 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 also we have to have God's values. We have to spend and serve and work toward bringing about his kingdom here and now. So the question is not just, hey, what are you gonna do with the tenth? The 10%, really the question on all of our lives is what do we do with the other 90? Like what, what are we doing with what God has given us, okay? Now, why, why would this be a big deal to God? Um, from, from this standpoint, I've heard people say this, man, God doesn't need my money. You are right about that. You are exactly Right? Like, like, God is not up there looking at his bank account and saying, man, people haven't been giving. I am really low. I don't know if I'm going to pay the, pay the sun bill. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep the moon rotating, you know. I don't know if we're going to need some more fuel for that. I mean, God is obviously not struggling with any of that. God doesn't, God doesn't need for you to give. I mean, he, does, he, he he needs nothing. God is completely self-sufficient, okay? So why is this a big deal to God? A couple reasons. Uh, one we've already talked about, and we'll talk about it again even. Money follows value. Money follows value. Whatever you value, you're going to spend money on. God God views care for his people and support of his kingdom as care for and support of him. There, there's a really useful passage, and we use it a lot, Uh, Matthew 25, and uh, beginning, listen to this, beginning verse 34. The king will say, this is on the judgment day, to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you naked naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I said to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, did you notice there's a lot of giving in that passage, right? I was hungry, you gave to me. I was thirsty, you gave to me. I was, I was naked, you clothed me, right? All of those things are have an element, at least, of giving to it, okay? And, and, and Jesus very clearly says, when you give to the least of these, when you do my work on, uh, on the earth, you are giving to me, all right? God, God's people are, are, are representative of God. Right, The needy are representative of God. The orphan, the widow, all those things in the scripture are representative of God. And so when we give to them, when we give to the kingdom work, we are in a real way giving to God. And I, I hope that you cherish this reality that $16,000 was given by you. Uh, for for children, needy children in India who need the gospel and need some food. And I, I really believe that if you gave that with a heart toward God, you are giving that to God. Now God doesn't need a plate of rice, okay? And, and God God doesn't need a Bible story, okay? But but you are giving to him. I mean I, I think that's the picture the Bible is is accurately portraying. So why well, Why is this a big deal to God? Because money follows value, because supporting uh, the kingdom is supporting him, it is honoring him. And and then maybe here's the big reason that I want to kind of work out with you is that our giving is rooted in faith and our not giving is rooted in unbelief. Okay, so so giving is a way, it's a real tangible way to say, God, I trust you. Saying the words, I trust you, that's an easy phrase to say. Now, actually, putting yourself in a position where you have to trust Him, that's much harder. That, 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 that's a lot harder, okay? And, and giving is a way where basically you say, Lord, I, I trust you to provide for me, I trust you to care for me. I, I, I trust you to give me what I need. He, he, here's what is true uh, that the Bible accurately represents is is that there is a motherload of blessing awaiting in this passage the Israelites, but none of it is set in motion until they believe and obey. Now I want you to notice verse 10 and this, this might be a little confusing. But in verse 10, God invites the Israelites to test him, okay? Now, now there's times in the scripture where testing is a bad thing, okay? Uh, pre- presuming upon God is a bad thing, okay? But in this case, God says, hey, hey, put me to test in this. So verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. All right, and so, so God, God actually just says, hey, Hey, put me to the test. God is inviting the people to take this principle out of the classroom, out out of the sanctuary, and into real life, all right? He is urging the people to go beyond talking about trusting God and actually do it. He's urging them to actually put something on the line. Isn't that interesting? He's like, hey, put something on the line and just test me and see if I will not come through for you. It's a daring move, isn't it? Uh, I mean, God's just say, "Hey, just test me. T- test me and see if I will not make things right with you. If I if I will not bring blessing to you, if I will not." It, clearly, He says here, "Open the windows of heaven." Now, what was happening there? I, I think there was a drought. Right, um, verse eleven and twelve. It says, uh, "God says this is part of the blessing: I'll rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the fields shall not bear." Says the Lord. I only shall call you so. So, I, I think God's basically like, I'm, "I'll bring." agricultural blessing which was the way their economy worked upon you okay now if that is the case then the people are faced with the situation of being impoverished and being in a state of need which would tempt them to do what when when you have when you have little what are you tempted to do what i mean right that's not it's not hard right what do we do when we have little we 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 save it right we're like man i need this we got to be careful with this you know you you don't you don't send it with your ten year old to the fair you know it's gone you know? like right you're you're careful with it you you hold it close right you don't give it away okay when when you when you have little all right and, and so so they're tempted in this impoverished state in this state of need to withhold from God, which essentially leaves them out of the equation. All right, it, it's a way of looking at God as an extra instead of an essential. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, oh God, normally I'd love to give, I'd love to support, I'd I'd love to, you know, be about your kingdom, but things are really tough right now. And so, God, we got to put you on the side until things get better, and then then we'll jump back in. We'll bring you back in. Okay, instead of being like, God, man, you're the most important thing in this equation, and and I want to live a life in a way that opens up the pipeline of your blessing into my life. And the Israelites were saying with their actions, man, we're in trouble. We got to meet our needs rather than looking to God and trusting God to meet their needs. There, there's a great story in the Old Testament that I believe just captures this absolutely. Okay, it's in 1 Kings 17. First Kings 17, there's a drought, again, a famine. Okay, and it's actually by, from the Lord. Elijah actually pronounces it to Ahab. Hey, it's not going to rain until so I say it's going to rain. Um, because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because of the idolatry that was in Israel. And so it did not rain for three and a half years, okay? And, and during that time, Elijah goes to the brook Cherith, and he's fed by the ravens, and you, you know the story probably, and then, then the brook dries up, and so God sends him to Zarephath. God sends him to a foreign nation, okay? Not an Israelite nation, to a foreign nation. And he says, I, I've got a widow there going to take care of you. And so Elijah goes there, he's sitting in the courtyard, he sees this widow out gathering sticks to make a fire for their last meal all right, their, their, their last meal, okay, she's got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, she's gathering sticks, they're, she and her son are going to eat their last meal, and then they're going to die, like, that, that's it, we're going to eat and then die, uh, eat a little morsel, that's it, and then we're dead, okay, because we've got no more, and we've got no way to have them, no more, okay, and then Elijah comes, and he asks her to do something that absolutely defies reason, okay, so look in verse 12, 1st Kings 17, if you're there, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat of it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, first, I got that underline in my Bible. OK, because the way I would want it to work would be second. OK, like, OK, <laughs> prophet. I'm gonna go make make this cake for or make this little, you know, by cake, don't think birthday, think like little biscuit, okay? I'm gonna go make this little biscuit and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it in half and give half to my son and then half to me, and then hey, if you're gonna do a miracle after that, I'd love to make you something, okay? Right? Like, like I, I would want him to say second, okay? But but he says first. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Now, what, what does reason say there? Well, if I give you the biscuit, then we got nothing, right? It doesn't take an algebra expert to figure that out. But thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. What, what's Elijah doing there? He's saying, hey, test me in this. Test God in this. Sh- do, do what I'm asking. Do what the Word of God says. Just practical tests. Will she trust the Word of God? She does. Um, she, she does exactly as the prophet says. And you know, if you know the story... The, the jar flour and the jug oil, they don't run out until after the famine. So they eat for days and days and days and days and days and days and days, and days on that little bit and little bit, okay? And, and, and every day it was the same thing. I mean, if I read that right, there wasn't like as soon as she made the cake and gave it to Elijah, she didn't hear this beep, 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 and there's this like Wonder Bread truck that backs up and this, you know. Now, I, I mean, like I, I think she just still had the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil. Like every day it was this, it was this faith. You know, that, all right, I'm, I'm just trusting God that he's going he's gonna to do it again, right? That, we, that's what we want. We want the truck to back up. Like, we want to like open up our bank account and be like, wow, God, million dollars. You put it in there. Awesome. Thank you so much, you know? But, but God, God says, hey, why don't you just trust me? Trust me. And, and so really the question becomes, what do you do with the little? What do you, what do, you do with the little that you have? Do you save it for yourself? Do you invest it in the kingdom? Now, here's a question that I'm just anticipating, okay? Now that, that this afternoon I'm gonna get. And so I, I just wanna, I wanna go ahead and, and it's a good question. Pastor, how is this not simply the health and wealth gospel that I really hate? And, and I I kind of want you to hate it as well, okay? So, what is the health and wealth gospel? The health and wealth gospel basically says: hey, if you have enough faith, then if you have enough faith, and if you're obedient enough, Then you're just always gonna be nothing but healthy, and you're always gonna be nothing but wealthy. Like just gonna go, you know, like like trust God and He'll give you millions, and trust God and you'll you'll never be sick, and trust, you know, it's 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 wrong. Okay, Uh, let me tell you what's wrong about it. A couple things. Number one, God is not the prize in the health wealth gospel. See, in, in the health wealth gospel, money and 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 health are the prize. And, and basically, you're just using God to get what you really want, which is money and health, okay? I, I think this is different. This, this is simply faith and obedience, okay? And, and one of the ways it's, it's different is, note, notice verse 10. It's a, it's a little phrase that I think is important. Uh, right at the end of it, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Okay, now, obviously, he's saying you'll be fully supplied, okay? But I think no more need does not mean what we want it to mean. Okay, I think I think what we want it to mean is lavish extravagance, like like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna obey you here, and I'm gonna get a new iPhone and a new car and a new house and a new pool. You know, I I, I think that's what we want that to mean. And man, I, I do not see that anywhere in the scriptures. I I I don't see it anywhere. Um in, in fact I, I, I would I would turn to you or I would turn you to um passages like First Timothy chapter six verses six through eight um that says But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be we will be content. Did you hear that? We have food and clothing, which I I don't see any naked people in here, and so Thumbs up for that, right? Um, and, and, and I'm assuming everybody is, has, has had something to eat. If you have not, we have donuts in the back. Have as many as you want. Um, and we'll buy more. And there's actually stuff in the fridge. I mean, if you're really hungry, we got, we got stuff, you know? I mean, that, that's the way our church operates. And so, so I, I, in other words, I, that, that has been met, okay? That has been met. And, and, and I really think, I man, I was thinking about this at Cadence at funeral on Tuesday, Mandalaney when I was just asking her about just what he missed, you know, and 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 she had she had talked about how when she comes home, when she came home every day, Cadence was was at the door, opened the door for her with a smile. She said she has such a great attitude. If you knew Cadence, she absolutely did. And and I was just thinking about the joys of life and how most people, I don't know about most, a lot of people don't enjoy life. Like, it doesn't matter what God gives. They're not actually living it. Does that make sense? Um, I, I happen to believe that Jesus, though he owned nothing but the clothes on his back, and and, and, and though he, he lived a life, really, of struggle and suffering, I happen to believe he was the happiest guy that's ever lived. What's the deal with that? Well, I, man, I, I think he was actually enjoying what God had given. Like, like I, I think there's this qualitative a blessing from the Lord that, that is apart from a quantitative, okay? So in other words, quality versus quantity. Uh, let, 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 me, let me describe it like this. Think about it like this. Where are you investing your life, okay? Where are you investing your life? In other words, where are you trying to find life? By, by investing, I mean, where are, you try, where are you aiming to find life from? Okay, see, if you're robbing God, in order to invest in other things because you believe they'll bring you life, I think you are never going to find it. I happen to believe there's lots of people in this world that have millions, that have the nicest of things that are deeply miserable. I don't think they found it. Okay, and so where are you searching for life? All right, imagination. Put a box over here okay, and let's, let's, let's make it nice, a nice box, okay, pretty, and, and put God on the outside of it, okay? So let, let's put a box there and put God, okay? Let's put another box over here, and maybe a whole bunch of boxes, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's even better. A whole bunch of boxes, since we're just imagining we can make as many as we want, right? Okay, and maybe one says security, Okay, so this is like investments, savings account, 401k, gold and silver, property. Okay, it's all of this stuff that, that makes us feel secure, right? That, okay, if everything falls apart, I'll be okay. Okay, there's a box, okay? Let's have another one that says fun possessions, you know? Recreation, like j- just, just those fun possessions. Let's have another one that, that, that says um, uh, beauty and health. And let's, let's, Okay, so where are you trying to find your life? And, and a lot of times we can just follow the money trail can't we like if, if you got all of all if you if you're if you're filling this box heavy that means you're a security person like you you find life in hey I got enough where it's okay things crash oil field crashes economy crashes family crashes whatever that I ah, This is is where I'm trying to find my life, okay? Or or maybe you're a possessions person, you know, a fun man. Or maybe you're a travel person. Maybe you're an image person, right? Or a clothes, you know. Where are you trying to find your life? And and I think what what Malachi is saying is, hey, guys, life's in this box. Like, find it here. Find, Find your joy here. Find your security here. Find your peace here. Find your... Find life here, and I think when you're convinced of that, I think that's what giving giving giving's easy. All right, let me let me. Uh, I wanted to leave time here for the questions that you would ask. I think, um, I think number one on the list is probably this one: is the tithe for us today? Okay, so Israel. Okay, it was obvious. When Israel did not give, okay, when they withheld the tithe, there were, there were covenantal curses for that, all right? And, and so, like, it was, it was, they were living by the law, okay? Now, we don't live by the law anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so the question comes, is the tithe for us today? And, and here's how I would like to answer that, okay? And, and you're going to find various views in this church, so please understand this is probably a, an open-handed issue, okay? But here's how I'm going to answer that. I believe the tithe is incredibly helpful, okay? Now, now notice the word I use there. I didn't, I didn't say this is a law. I didn't say, hey, this is part of your righteousness. It's part of your I, I didn't say that. I said, I believe it is helpful, okay? Now, now let me give you kind of a just brief, You know, here's my theology on it, okay? So Matthew 23, 23, and there's also a passage in Luke that says the same thing. I think Jesus affirms, okay, lightly affirms the tithe, okay, so... So, Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, on one hand, that passage affirmed the tithe. He says, These you ought to have done, okay? But on the other hand, I, I think what Jesus is strongly pointing out, I think this is the main point of that passage, is don't use the tithe as a limit. All right? He's actually kind of reversing the deal in that. Okay, so so here's what was happening with these religious leaders, okay? They were paying their tithe meticulously to the penny, right, to the leaf, okay? They were the kind of person that would be, I'm, I'm writing out my check for, you know, uh, one hundred ninety three dollars 20 cents and I'm rounding up, you know, or I'm rounding down, you know. I mean, that, that, they, they were they were meticulous on that, but then they're out in the world and they see a needy person or they see a, 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 an orphan or a widow or, or some injustice or some ministry that's underfunded and they're like, well, I, I pay my tithe, right? You see, the tithe was actually an excuse not to help. And Jesus is condemning that, okay? He's condemning that. I like don't see that that's the problem with it is is when we almost feel like well I've paid you know I paid the electric bill, I paid the gas bill I paid God's bill you know okay, I think you have missed it you, you're not looking for life in God so what what does the New Testament say about giving well first of all it's really interesting that there is a bunch of Places in the New Testament where Paul or somebody else is actually raising money. Raising money for the famine in Jerusalem, raising money for you know, different... I mean, there's a bunch of that. Not one of them ever leverages the tithe. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Like, not one of them does Paul say, hey, you, you, you... know, He doesn't ever do that. But That's an interesting thought. Okay, but what does he do? Well, um, first of all, he, he uh, encourages or almost assumes regular as you prosper giving, okay? So 1 Corinthians 16, two says, on the first day of the week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so, so basically you have uh, two principles there that I think are really important, regular, okay? First day of every week, just so put it aside. Um, uh, in other words, kind of give God the first fruits. That's an Old Testament principle. And, and then, then the second principle there is as you prosper. And so the more God blesses you, the more you set aside, okay? Um, Romans fifteen, uh, the expansion of the gospel. We could find this lots of places. We could find it at Philippians four as well. Romans fifteen twenty four. I really like this passage. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul's basically a missionary. He said, I'm going to stop by, uh, but I'm heading to Spain, and I hope that you guys will support me in the expansion of the gospel of Spain. And so, so it, it ought to be regular. It ought to be as you prosper. It ought to be in, in, in supporting the expansion of the gospel. Here's a big principle. It ought to be... Will uh, willingly and cheerfully done. Okay, so first, Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verse six and seven. The point is this: Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, again, there's there's a different thing there than the tithe, right? There's a different thing than the tithe. So God says, God says uh, 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 that you should decide it in your heart, okay? No, she doesn't say, well, figure out what 10% of what you make is. He says, as you have decided in your heart, okay, and, and then as you have willingly decided, and then as, as you can cheerfully give, okay? So, so God, God wants you to want to give. Pastor Gary did a phenomenal job yesterday at men's breakfast uh, going over uh, Philemon Verses 1 and 2, great job. Just talking about relationships. But but as he was doing that, I was was thinking about the rest of the book of Philemon, which is really a cool book. But one of the cool things that that happens in Philemon is Paul goes out of his way to say, look, I I could command you to do this. He's talking about setting setting, uh, uh, Onesimus free. He said, I could command you to do it, but I don't want to do that. Because I don't want you to have to do it. I want you to want to do it. You know, I mean, that's kind of the message of Philemon. Paul could have made that thing real short. He could have just wrote uh, Philemon and said, dude, let the slave go. He's become a Christian, and uh, he's serving me, and you shouldn't have a slave anyway. (laughs) Let him go. Like, he could have just done that, but he doesn't. He he writes this book basically urging Philemon to seek the Lord and want to do the right thing. I, I think giving is the same way. I think God wants you to, do, to want to do the right thing. I think, I think he, he wants you to invest. I think he wants you to see, okay, my life's not in any of these boxes. And so that frees me up to just pursue great joy in this box. And, and, and to kind of have a, have a reckless abandon in, in, in my worry about having to guard myself and and really be able just to be free in pursuing joy in God in Him. Um, We we see, another. I think maybe this would be the dominating principle of the the New Testament would be extravagant giving. All right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3 says, for in a severe, he's talking about the Macedonian Christians, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Okay, now, Those three make an interesting equation, don't they? Okay, so you got extreme poverty, you've got um, severe affliction, and that equals abundance of joy and wealth of generosity. Okay, how does that equal that? Only because they were finding their life in God. Luke 21 Maybe the most famous giving passage in the Bible. Um, Jesus is in the treasury. Everybody's bringing their big bags of money in. Sounds like Vegas. Ding, 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 You know, in the in the copper horns that were in the temple. And then it says in Luke 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, dude, truly, I say that this poor widow has put in more than all of them for she... For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had. And then, finally, there is this New Testament principle that actually, I think, supports what God is saying in Malachi 3. This, this New Testament principle that, that to generously invest in the Lord means you can trust Him to provide for you. All right, let me show you it in a couple different places. Um, I know we're going super fast. Hopefully, maybe your small group leader writes these down and you get to maybe unpack them or maybe you're writing them down. Um, Luke six thirty eight: 38. Uh, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Put in your lap. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. Again, there's such a fine line. That's what's so deceptive in the health-wealth gospel. What, it, what he's not saying is, man, if you really want more of this, let me show you a secret. Come over here, secretly pretend that really what you want is God and give him a bunch, and then he will give you a bunch of what you really want. That's, don't, that's not what that's saying. It's saying, invest your life in God, and he will give you life. Now that that life may look kind of poor. It usually does, actually. If you set aside America and, and you just go the worldwide. The, the number of Christians in the world, there's a lot more on the poor side than there is on the rich side. But there's a lot more on the joyful side than there is, yeah, see the point? Giving in the New Testament, to some degree, so if you want to put a percentage on it, here's what I would say. It, it actually seems to be limitless, okay? So favorite passage on giving in the Bible, absolutely, 2 Corinthians 9. Um, listen, after he says, you know, be a cheerful giver, um, give willingly, okay, he unpacks kind of God's economy in this, all right? So I'm in 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Okay, now what's the promise there? Abounding in every good work, right? So, so lavish generosity, actually, God turns around, takes His power, pulls it in, and enables you to abound in every good work. That doesn't have anything to do with these boxes, but it has to do with your life. It has to do with living. Okay, abound in every good work. Let's keep reading. As is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10 He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Okay, stop. What's the promise? Almost a limitless supply of seed for sowing. What's the seed for? Sowing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with seed for saving, but that is not promised there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong for seed for bass boats, okay? That, but that's, that's not what he's saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with seed for mountain bikes. That, that's virtuous, that's good, okay? But, but that's not what he's saying, okay? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with seed for travel. I love that one, but that's not what he's saying. Not, 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 nothing wrong with seed for hunting cabins or um, shopping trips or there's something wrong with seed for Hobby Lobby, but, but we'll throw that one in there, okay? But he's not saying any of that. Did did you see? He said, seed for sowing. What's sowing? That's investing your life in the kingdom of God. There's a promise there of this abundant opportunity to impact the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you everything you need to impact the kingdom of God and to increase, notice the rest of it, verse 10, increase the harvest of your righteousness and that gets really exciting. The harvest of nope, 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 okay? Your righteousness. Verse 11. You'll be enriched in every way. Man, I I should just preach this. This really want to preach, right? Enriched in every way. I was talking to the, the some guys yesterday and we were just kicking around. I I really believe that part of what God gives when he gives life, you know, and, and you pursue life in him is this enjoy this flourishing enjoyment of, of things that the world just flies right over. Enriched in every way. To be gen- what's the purpose? To be generous in every way. Which through us will produce Thanksgiving to God. All, all back circling around to the glory of God. I guess in closing, um, I, I, the Lord, do not change. And God, God is faithful. God can be counted on. God is a promise keeper. God knows how to take care of you better than you know how to take care of yourself. And really, it's, it's, I'm just saying, well, here's what it is for me it's getting my heart to fully trust that. And I think when my heart fully trusts that, man, The constraints fly off and I am just free to pursue him at whatever cost. That's pretty cool. Let's pray. Father, help us, God, to... um, God, help us to trust that life is in you. God, help us to trust that um, you're faithful and that you know how to take care of us and that you're a promise keeper. And Father, I pray that we would no matter our condition, no matter our struggles, no matter our difficulties, that we would pursue life in you. Father, we ask for help in this. We ask, God, that... God, I just pray that you would help someone here to even just start small. Um, Father, if there are are those who maybe have made decisions in the past that have put them in a, a really difficult situation right here this morning, maybe with debt, maybe with... With just owing a lot to a lot of people. And God, I, I just pray that, that they, they would not be discouraged this morning, but God, that you would just enable them to start with whatever they can, start small, and just take a, take a giant leap of faith and, and just trusting you. Father, I, I just pray that you'd help them. In Jesus' name, amen.